The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we think or ask, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. My name is Jacob Hatfield. I'm lead pastor at Grace Bible Church in Minnesota. And we're thrilled, my wife and I, to be able to gather with you this morning and open the Word of God for you. Grace was planted about a year ago, and we had the opportunity to be here last fall and share some updates with you. And I'm very thankful to be able to stand here today and tell you that this first year of ministry in our church has been very sweet. The Lord has shown grace upon grace. We have increased not only in size, but in very mature people coming to the church, opportunities for discipleship. The the word that encapsulates the last year of our ministry is faithfulness from God. And that's what we're praying moving forward from this point, that God would continue to show us his faithfulness and that we as stewards of the gospel would be faithful to him. And that's my prayer for you as well, especially as you are embarking now on this journey of facility planning and permits and acquisition. I've been through that process with our previous church, and it can be very draining. So I encourage you, keep your eyes on Christ. Do not get bogged down in these details. God will provide for you. I promise you he will. Because he's faithful to his word, he's faithful to his promises, and he delights to be a good father to his children. So I'm excited to be here. I want to thank you corporately as a church for your prayer and your encouragement to me as a pastor and to Grace Bible Church. You have demonstrated in such a clear way what it means to have healthy partnerships in the gospel. I can't tell you how many times I receive an email from one of your pastors, one of your elders saying, how are things going? How can we pray for you? And as a younger pastor, it is so encouraging to know that there are people lifting us up praying for us, concerned with our needs. So I bring you greetings from Grace Bible Church in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My aim this morning now is to be an encouragement to you. We are all in need of encouragement. The book of Hebrews talks about the need for great encouragement. And since I am not great, I bring you encouragement from the Word of God. So we are going to look at the passage that Heather just read for us. We're going to focus on the middle of that, specifically verses 17 through 19, but we want to read the whole chunk to get a good context for what Paul is saying, what he is praying for us. So I invite you now to pray with me as we begin our time in the Word this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you 
humbled that you have not only been a God of provision, you have not only been a God of grace, but in your mercy you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, if you had not reached out and saved us from sin, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of your love, we would be dead still in our trespasses, and yet you chose to show mercy and grace to us. So aside from all of the gifts that we benefit from, Lord, we are thankful for Jesus Christ, for the atoning work on the cross that washes us clean by his blood. Father, thank you for this grace. This morning, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be knit together in unity in the gospel and that there would be strong encouragement through the word of God. That just as Paul prays in this text, we would be strengthened with power through the spirit to understand the love that you have for us. This is only a work that can be done by your spirit, so God, please come. We do not invite you in terms of giving you permission to be here. You are here, but we invite you as an invocation, Lord, to be here and do the work that only you can do. So please, God, give strength to the weary. Give encouragement to the weak. Humble those who walk in pride. Do everything that you are able to do here for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of your church. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know what things are like here in the South, but maybe you've had this experience where you're trying to fit something into a container, uh, and the container just is not, it's not going to work. This happens all the time with these plastic grocery bags. Now, maybe you have better plastic down here than we do in Minnesota, but in Minnesota, it's terrible. This is my number one complaint about living in Minnesota. I'm kidding. The negative 50 degrees is my main complaint. But You've had this happen, right? You got a whole bunch of creamed corn in your plastic bag and you walk out and about 10 feet from your car, the bag rips and you're picking up your creamed corn off the parking lot. Now that's way too specific an example to be random and I'm not going to tell you if that's happened to me, but it might have. This also happened, I, was, I used to build houses for a living and I always got the job of wheeling the cement in the wheelbarrow. I don't know if anyone's had that privilege, but it is a privilege. And on this one occasion, the cement's coming off the truck and into the wheelbarrow, and it was an old rickety buggy, and I knew it was going to be trouble, and about 10 feet down the road, the thing fails, and all the cement walks out. Now, the reason that I start this way is because when we come to these verses in Ephesians chapter 3, there's something similar going on. There is something that we need to see that there is a vessel and there is what is going into the vessel. It is a container and the contents. And I think we're going to see that in this passage. In verses 14 through 16, Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit. And now, in these verses we're going to look at, 17 through 19, he gives us the reasons why we need to be strengthened through the Spirit. Why does Paul pray this way? And I think we see two answers in this text. First from verse 17, the other one from 18 and 19. So encourage you, if you have a Bible, if you have an app on your device, follow along in the text. It's going to really help you as we move through this morning. So first of all, why do we need to be strengthened by the Spirit? Why does Paul pray this way for the church? Number one, to be prepared for Christ. To be prepared for Christ. 
this point is only going to make sense if we have a high and exalted view of who Jesus is. Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. This is the purpose of the strengthening. This goes back to my opening point of the container and the contents. Is the container appropriate for what is coming into it? If Jesus Christ, very God of very God, risen, ascended, ruling, comes to live in your heart, are you ready for that? Are you strengthened for that? This is why Paul is praying this. If if we are not prepared, if Jesus Christ in all of his glory comes to dwell in your heart through the Spirit and you are not strengthened, what happens? It would be like dropping a shot put in a wet paper bag. Does anyone know what a shot put is? When I was in high school, I threw shot in track. I know you might think I was a distance runner. Let me give you a good view, okay? Not distance. Shot put was my thing. A shot put is a 12-pound steel ball, and you just throw it and try to see how far it goes. It's, it's a little bit strange. But if you were to drop that thing into a wet paper bag, what would happen to the bag? Gone, right? There's, there's no strength. There's no integrity in that. Similarly, if you and I, fallible, sinful people, are not strengthened by the Spirit of God for Jesus Christ to come and dwell in us, what happens? Paul told the Colossians that in Jesus Christ, all of the fullness of God dwells bodily. So when Paul says here that Jesus is to dwell in our hearts, we need to know that in so doing, all of the fullness of God is coming with him to dwell in us, to live in our hearts. Are you ready for that? Are you strengthened by the Spirit to have the risen Christ dwell in your heart? This is Paul's emphasis here. The container must be appropriate for the contents. As I said before, the the degree to which you see this strengthening as a necessity, if you think this is important, depends almost entirely on your view of Jesus, on the way you value Christ. How do you think about Jesus? If your view of him is, is fairly low manageable, he's kind of equal with you or appear to you, you're not going to need strengthening. What if you took a ping pong ball and dropped it into the wet bag? That would probably handle it, right? But that's not what's happening here at all. This is why it is so absolutely critical that our view of Jesus Christ is not, hear me, not shaped by our own opinion, by our own interpretation of what's going on, but that it is shaped by the unfailing, always true, never changing word of God. As a pastor, I want you as a church to think biblically about Jesus, to have right understanding, because right understanding produces affection for Jesus Christ. So this isn't just the doctrinal side of things. Paul's not just saying, you need to have it in your head that you know who Jesus is so you can do all the right things. No, he knows that when Jesus Christ comes to dwell in your heart, there is change and there is power through the Spirit of God. Therefore, we need to be strengthened 
for this. I want you to know Christ in all of his love and his power and his gentleness and his patience and his wrath and his forgiveness. All of him. All of Christ. Because until we know that, this is not going to make sense. We need to be strengthened by the Spirit of God. It is so dangerous to only define Jesus by what you and I understand. Isn't it? Have you ever been talking to someone about God or, or their spiritual things or what's happening in the world and they say, I just, I can't imagine a God who acts like that. Anyone ever have that? Something similar to that? Well, guess what? We're not supposed to imagine God. What is this book for? Than to tell us about Jesus Christ, to tell us about God the Father. Jesus is not a figment of our imagination. He is God. And when he dwells in our heart through faith and through his spirit, we must be strengthened, which is why Paul prays this way. He knows that when Jesus Christ comes to take up residence in our hearts, we are in need of major reinforcing, strengthening that only comes through the work of the Spirit of God. I was talking with someone in our church a couple weeks ago about the different roles of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we talk about individually what happens and individually what God the Father has done or what Jesus Christ has done. But do we talk as much about how they work together to accomplish the purpose of God? And this passage is very Trinitarian. We see the power of God working through the Spirit of God so that the Son of God can dwell in our hearts through faith. This is our triune God. The container must be appropriate for the contents, and this only happens through the work of God's Spirit, which is why we so desperately need Him. Now, we need to ask another question from verse 17 before we move on. Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians, saints. These are the people who, if you back up a couple chapters, according to chapter 1, have heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation. They have believed in Jesus Christ and been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. These are genuine believers. So why does Paul pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith? Don't they already have Christ in their hearts? Well, I think one way to see this is that Paul is making here an individual application of a point he made earlier in chapter 2 corporately. So in chapter 2, he has a corporate application. Now he's doing individual. You don't have to turn here. Maybe it's just on the other side of your page. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 20. Paul says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also, now this is everybody in this context, Jew, Gentile, corporate language, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is corporate whole church language. The Spirit is working to strengthen the church to be a dwelling place for God. And then when we come to chapter 3, this is now a similar application to the individual believer. We're going to touch on this a little bit more before we're done. But I want you to remember that this is in the context of a prayer request. Paul is praying that these Christians would experience the fullness of God through Christ. 
Now, I think that for Christ to dwell in our hearts means at least two things. It means a myriad of things, but I'm going to draw attention to two. It means that he takes up residence and ownership. He takes up residence and ownership. No longer are we the ones deciding what we do and when we do it. Christ is. No longer are we living selfishly for our own desires, for our own passions. We live for Christ. He comes in and he takes up residence and ownership. Now Paul continues in verse 17 that you being rooted and grounded in love. These two terms, an agricultural and an architectural term that Paul uses, both having to do with stability or permanence, perhaps. To be rooted is to have a stability that endures. You're grounded, right? Jesus used the same word in Matthew 13. He tells the parable of the sower. Listen to what he says. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Being rooted in the love of God, like Paul is praying, means that we will have the stability to weather the storms and the endurance to last through the dry seasons. I don't know what it's been like here, but in Minnesota we have had mid-90s almost all summer and zero rain. It has been the worst drought since 1987. We live pretty close to the Mississippi River, and right now you can walk across it, which has not happened for 25 years. The only things that are thriving, the only things that are green are the things that have roots that go down deep into the soil and have access to what they need. Paul is saying that when we are rooted in the love of God, we will have the strength to comprehend this kind of love. Next, when Paul says grounded, we could also read that word as established. We know, we know what this means, right? Right? Again, Jesus uses the same word when he speaks about the wise and the foolish builders in Matthew 7. Listen to what he says, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Founded, same word as established, grounded. So to be grounded on the love of God is to be built on a foundation that will withstand attacks, that will withstand the poundings that inevitably come to us as believers. Now these are very similar words, similar meanings, but I think that Paul stacks them together to kind of beat into our minds the importance of what he's saying. He does not use words in vain. None of scripture does. But he is emphasizing this so that we get it. He is praying that Christ would dwell in our hearts to give us this rooting, this grounding that all of us so desperately need. So that's the first reason we need to be strengthened by the Spirit, to be prepared for Christ to dwell in our hearts. Second, we need strengthening by the Spirit for understanding. We need strength for understanding. 
Paul prays in verse 18 that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. We need to be strengthened by the Spirit so that we would comprehend or understand or grasp the dimensions of God's love. Now you might say here, oh, come on, I know what love is. I understand what it is to love. Why do I need to be strengthened to understand something I already get? Fair question, but I think Paul answers it. I believe that Paul prays this way because the love that God has for his people, the love that he has for you, is unlike any human love that we know. It is not something that we easily grasp, something that we easily comprehend. It is the love of God. And how could we? How could we comprehend the love of God? When we think about love, when we discuss this, it is oftentimes in terms of a response to something. Right? Someone gives you a gift you accept the gift, you appreciate it, you, you understand what it's going to do, and it can raise your affections, your love for the person who gave it to you. When you consider your relationships, as, <laughs> as much as we might want to think that we are totally selfless in our friendships, in our marriages, whatever, we act selfishly. I do. Not a point of pride for me. But love is something that we generally <clears throat> give in response to things like affection or attention or provision. It's a responsive thing most of the time for us. The love of God is not like that at all. He does not look at the world and try to determine who is most worthy of his love. He does not look and say, well, I think that person could, could potentially be lovable, therefore I'm going to show my love to that person. No, that is contra-biblical. That is against what the Bible teaches. The love of God is free, unrestrained, unlike anything that you and I know. Therefore, Paul prays that we would be strengthened to understand it. I think especially about younger people who are teenagers, young adults. We have a lot of this age in our church as well. I see it here and I'm so thankful to God for that. But you have been told by everything around you that love is a response. That if you just act a certain way, if you just talk a certain way, if you just do this thing or that, then you'll be liked, you'll be loved. And so when you come to hear about the love of God, you bring that same mentality with you and you're thinking, man, if I just do what God wants me to do, if I just do the right things or say the right things or have the right personality, God will love me. How tragic. That is not the teaching of the scripture. The teaching of the scripture is that the love of God freely is poured out to us. Not because of you, <clears throat> not because of me, but because of his great love for us. I want to give you two examples of this. First, consider what John writes. Hopefully this is very familiar to you. 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. <clears throat> Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the wrath-satisfying sacrifice for our sin. We did not love God first. He loves us. Second text, Romans 5. Again, hopefully very familiar. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, although perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God demonstrates, shows his love in this, that while you and I were still sinners, dead in sin, Christ died for us. It's no wonder that Paul thinks we need to be strengthened. This is the kind of love Paul wants us to know. This is the kind of love that needs to be understood to be fully comprehended and taken advantage of. Don't you want to know the love of God? Don't you want to know the depth of God's heart for you? Then pray like Paul. Pray that God would strengthen you by his spirit to understand the love that he has for us. And I don't think it's just understanding. It's not just uh, cognitive agreement <laughs> that you say, okay, yep, I, I get it theologically. This is what the love of God means. And you're kind of stiff about it. and cool. That's not what Paul's going. I think there's some practical outworkings of this. That it's not just that we see what it is, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if God has purchased you, then we ought to model this same kind of love to one another. Notice Paul also prays that we would comprehend with all the saints the love of God, although difficult in some ways to wrap our minds around, is not reserved for the higher-ups in Christianity. It is not only for the seminarian or the pastor or the elder or the leader. It is for all of us believers. Sometimes we come across things in our study and we think, man, this is really hard. This is really tough to wrap our minds around. And maybe the love of God is like that for you. Maybe you come to it and you don't comprehend. You don't know what is going on. The love of God is totally undeserved, which can be really confusing for us as we consider why would God do this? Why? Why would he exercise his grace towards us in this way? But Paul prays not just that the pastors would understand. There are times when he gives specific instruction. This is not one of them. This is for everyone that we would comprehend with all the saints together the love of God. And I, I prayed this for you over the last week and I prayed this for you this morning that you, Redeemer, would know the love of God because that is God's heart for you amongst many other things. Now the way that Paul helps us to comprehend what is otherwise incomprehensible to us is by using spatial illustrations. Right, He prays that we would be strengthened through the Spirit, this is verse 18, to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love. Now we know from Paul's writing style that he loves to pile things on top of each other for emphasis. He loves to repeat himself. He loves to overemphasize things to help us understand the importance of the spiritual reality that he is communicating. So in Ephesians 3, when he uses these terms, I believe that they are meant to be 
all-encompassing, to help us understand that there is not a place in your life, there is not a situation that exists that the love of God cannot reach or get to. John Stott said it this way. The love of Christ is long enough to last for eternity. It is deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner and it is high enough to exalt that sinner to heaven. I know it's 110 degrees, but that's a good word. The love of God is long enough to last for all eternity. It will not end. It is deep enough to stoop down wherever you are and pick you up, and it is high enough to exalt sinners to God. It's amazing, the love of God. When I read this section of Ephesians, I am reminded of a parallel passage, and I wonder if you've seen it as we've been going through this. There is a strong parallel to Romans chapter 8 here. You probably don't know this about me, but I am convinced that Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. And if you disagree, that's fine, but meet me in the parking lot after church and we'll talk about that. There is a strong parallel here. Paul prays that we would know the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of God's love. And when we hear that all-inclusive language, think Romans 8.34. Paul says, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed right now is interceding for us. Who shall separate you from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, what does Paul say? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor height, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation would be able to sever us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is it any wonder why Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we would be strengthened by the Spirit to comprehend this kind of love? A love that is so far beyond our understanding, yet God in His grace extends this to you and to me. The desire of my heart is that you would know the love of God. It is unlike any other love. That you would know there is nothing, nothing that can separate you. Not a move to Montenegro. Not a move to Concord. Not anything will separate us from the love of God. And not only that, but it is the love of God that gives us confidence that God cares for us, that he will supply what we need. So move in faith, Nelsons, as you go. Trust God. He cares for you, and he will provide. Redeemer, as you move into this process to build a church, trust that God loves you that he will only do what is good for you and he will provide. Now, 
In verse 19, Paul moves us beyond just the comprehension of this love to some practical applications. Let's read verse 19 together of Ephesians 3. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now I want to spend the rest of our time now together on this last part of the verse looking at the fullness of God. The reason that you and I are to have a complete and full understanding of the love of God and of Christ is so that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a staggering thought, is it not? This is the reason, similar to what Paul prayed earlier, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Now he calls us to know and experience the fullness of God. Now, even though fullness and completeness are certainly themes in Paul's writing, and we can see that as we read through, he holds this intention with the reality that there is still room to grow. There is still fullness to be experienced. For example, just using the book of Ephesians as an example, in chapter 5, Paul says that we are to go on being filled with the Spirit. And even though the church is already, this is chapter 1, verse 23, the fullness of of him who fills all in all. In chapter 4, Paul says that we are to grow up in him, into the head, which is Christ, until we reach fullness. So it's it's not as if we get to a certain point and then it's like, okay, we're, we're capped, we're full, we don't need anything else. That's not what Paul means by fullness. You see, you and I will never reach the point where we outgrow trying to understand the love of God. We will never get to the point where we can lay our Bible down and say, I think I've got this. We are lifelong learners. We should be. And Paul's encouragement to know and experience the fullness of God is for our good, for our growth in our understanding. We need to be continually dependent on God. I don't know if you know this. I am assuming that if you have lived more than a year, you understand this. We are dependent creatures. <laughs> we depend upon God for everything. The breath that you just took came from God. And that will never change. He will always be the creator. We will always be his creatures. I think this dependence talk, this fullness talk, is a warning to us against self-sufficiency. Here's what I mean. By Paul acknowledging that you and I need to continually be filled with the fullness of God is to say that you and I do not possess in ourselves the ability to fill ourselves. He, he is not writing to say, I'm so glad that you finally got your act together. You finally reached the point where you can be filled with the fullness of God. We cannot fill ourselves. We cannot. Now, there are things that we do for growth. We read the word. We get together. We disciple one another. Yes, but I just want to encourage you to don't ever stop that. Don't ever let that come to a halt. It is the way that we come to know God. This dependence is life long. And aren't you thankful this morning that God has promised to provide, to give, to be faithful to us according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus? 
So Paul prays, number one, for strength that we would be prepared for Christ to dwell in us through the Spirit. And secondly, that we would have strength to understand and comprehend the amazing love that God has for us. Now just a word of encouragement as we come to the end here. Maybe you hear all of this talk about strength and equipping and fullness and you're just not feeling it. Maybe you feel weak and inadequate. And you, I don't remember the last time I felt full and satisfied in God. You know what? That's good. That's okay. Paul does not pray in Ephesians 3 and thank God that these Christians have finally figured it out. God, thank you that this church got their act together and now we can finally move on from here. That's not what he prays. What does he pray? He prays knowing his own weakness. He prays knowing the church's weakness. He prays that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, would be the one to fill them. And so if you are hearing this this morning and you feel inadequate, you feel weak, you say, I don't know what it means to know the fullness of God, I would say, yes, you are right where God wants you to be. Pray like Paul prayed. Pray that God would fill you with all the fullness of his love. Get yourself in a position where you can be encouraged by other believers. What an encouragement that in the middle of the summer, outside, this body continues to gather together. Do you know why? It is not because you are all rock star Christians. It is because the Spirit of God is moving in your hearts, revealing to you the importance of what you are doing. And He wants you to grow in your understanding of His love for you. So keep going. And if you feel weak, if you feel worn down, pray like Paul prayed. God, strengthen me by your spirit that I would understand the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of your love for me and encourage those around you with the same word. Would you pray with me? God, my confession to you is that oftentimes I do feel weak. I do feel inadequate. And when I read in your word that there is strength available through the power of your Holy Spirit, it is so encouraging to me. And I pray, Lord, now that you would apply this word that was feebly delivered. Apply the truth of Ephesians 3 to this body. And would you see fit to raise up hundreds of people out of this church that are strengthened by the power of your Holy Spirit that know the love of Christ that comprehend the depths of your love for them and would you motivate them to go from here and be a witness for you. God, we need your strength. We need your help to understand the kind of love that you have for us. And wonder of wonders, you answer prayer. So God, please come. Do this work now. And even as we prepare to come to the table, would it be a reminder of your great love for us that you sent your son. And it is in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.